from Los Angeles, California. This is the Writer's Strike Chronicles, and I'm Tanya Barnes. Hello, everybody. Today is Thursday, February 7th, 2008, day 95 of the Writer's Strike. In today's episode, I speak to Sean Ryan, creator of The Shield and executive producer of The Unit. Then we'll talk to Ronald D. Moore from Battlestar Galactica. Both recordings took place at the Sci-Fi Channel Day for Fans and Writers Picketing event in front of NBC Studios. Now, just one word before we start. At the time of this recording, earlier this week, the WGA announced to its membership calling out for full guild meetings set for this Saturday, February 9th, which will include both the East and West branches of the Union. In its announcement, the Guild leadership stated its hopes to bring terms of an agreement to that meeting. Now, I'm hearing all sorts of rumors and speculation from the blogosphere and in the trades about what this may mean and where both the WGA and the AMPTP are at in terms of negotiations. Now, since none of these rumors are substantiated and since I am unable to verify where the information is coming from, I'm going to stand firm and wait until I hear an official announcement from the WGA. And I'm going to specifically look for this information on their official website, WGA.org, and their unofficial blog headed by strike captains, UnitedHollywood.com. At this time, I want to advise all my listeners to do the same. Having said that, I think it's very significant that yesterday, Vanity Fair canceled its post-Oscar party, which to me is a sign they were expecting the Oscars to be derailed the same way the Golden Globes had been earlier. Now maybe Vanity Fair knows something we don't, but there is supposed to be a media blackout in effect, so again, I'm advising everybody to look to the Guild for any true and accurate updates to the situation. Okay, my first guest, Sean Ryan, is the writer, showrunner, producer, and the creator of the acclaimed television series The Shield and The Unit. And by the way, I've worked on The Unit doing background in the past. In this interview, I asked Sean about the rumor mill, and let's listen to what he had to say. Okay, uh, my name's Sean Ryan, and uh, I created uh, The Shield, and uh, I'm executive producer of The Unit, and I'm also a member of the negotiating committee for the Writers Guild, so I've been involved sort of deeply uh, in these negotiations, and uh, we're here outside NBC in lovely downtown Burbank and uh, picketing, uh, because while there are a lot of rumors about progress being made in the deal, there is no finalized deal yet, so we're we're out here with the members... uh, talking with them and and, uh, continuing our picketing until we can get a fair deal. Can you comment on the media blackout and if it's still in effect? Uh, the media blackout is still in effect, though it's like the dam with a few leaks, I guess, in that uh, you know a lot of information is getting out, uh, a lot of it accurate, but some of it not. Um, so the, you know the thing that we've been trying to tell members is that uh, don't believe everything you hear and, and, and stay strong, and that hopefully we'll have some encouraging news uh, at the end of the week. But but we don't know. We'll see. Care to hazard where those leaks are coming from? You know, it's a town that likes to talk. I don't want to, you know, I, I, I think initially, you know, uh, a lot of it was coming from the company side, but I'm, I'm sure that, uh, you know, as details come in, it's, it's hard not to talk to people, and then those people talk to the bloggers and the podcasters, and, and so things come out one way or another. But as we all know, having played 
telephone as children, sometimes when things go you know three or four generations down, they they can get distorted. And I've read some things that haven't been completely true. So. So dispel any myths. What do we need to know today? The biggest myth is, is that there's a done deal. There's been a lot of progress, but there's a difference between agreeing to some things in principle and, and seeing them written down in paper and in a form that is agreeable to both sides. So when you've been on strike for three months, there's there's a desire to kind of end it as quickly as possible. But we can't rush this what may be the final part of this process. We've got to do it right, and we've got to make sure that the companies put down on paper the things that they've agreed to verbally. And, you know, my understanding is that there's been a history of trying to take things away in the drafting stages that were agreed to verbally. So, you know, so that's the biggest misconception is that essentially it's done. It's not done yet. And that's what we're, you know, we're, we're encouraged. We're glad that the CEOs came in personally and started negotiating with us after, you know, having walked away from the table for so long. So that's all encouraging. I think the companies had a chance to talk to us about their issues and what they're concerned about, and we had an opportunity to talk to them about what we were concerned about. And, and so it feels like the first real negotiation that's happened. It's sad that it took three months to do a strike to have the first real negotiation, but that's where we're at. So, here we are, we're still up in the strike lines. Any advice to your brothers and sisters on the line and to fans who are listening about how to proceed in the next few days? I talked to the people on the line earlier. It's it's just stay strong, stay on the line, keep walking, don't believe the rumors, and we have a membership meeting on Saturday where where everything will be explained. So, I think they get that. For, for those people who are fans of shows, I think have some hope, but if they want to email the companies and encourage them to thank them for the progress that has been made, but to encourage them to really finalize a deal that will be fair not only to them, but to the writers, um, they should do that. And they can get their favorite shows back on the air probably within six weeks. Wow, wow that's hopeful. All right. I'm just going to hold it right there and hold this space for hope. My final question as we wrap this up, uh, legacy notwithstanding, standalone technology, what is a more powerful invention for writers, the internet or the printing press? Well, it's tough to beat the printing press. <laughs> you know, the internet, uh, I think you have to give the advantage right now to the printing press while acknowledging that maybe 10, 20 years down the line, the internet might be able to overtake it. How come? Well, we never would have gotten the internet without the printing press, right? It's sort of like... That's why I say legacy notwithstanding. Uh, you know, and uh, there's still something nice about curling up in your bed at night and reading a book, isn't there? I did that last night. Um, but the Kindle's going to wipe that out, don't you think? I know, it may. I may. I, I, I'm trying to get one of those for my mother. They're tough to get right now. Um, I think ultimately it will be the internet, but but right now the advantage still goes to the printing press, I think. All right. Okay. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Okay. That was Sean Ryan from the picket line in front of NBC Studios. Coming up is Ronald D. Moore from Battlestar Galactica. Here we go. I'm Ronald D. Moore, uh, executive producer of Battlestar Galactica. Hey, Ron. My dad worked on Battlestar Galactica, the original, way, way back then, and he actually had a lot of stories. Um, my favorite stories were that they were physical effects rather than visual effects. Um, what inspired you to create the, recreate the series? 
Uh, essentially, Universal came to me and said, you know, they were interested in ha- having somebody bring a new take to Battlestar Galactica. There had been a few efforts to remake the series or continue the series over the years, and they'd all failed for one reason or another. And uh, at the time that they asked me, I wasn't sure that I wanted to do another space opera because I'd done Star Trek for ten years. But I, I thought about it, and I-, I got the original pilot and watched it again, and I- this was in, like, say, February of uh, 2002, just a few months after the 9-11 attacks, and I realized that there was a a tremendous resonance with this story and what we were uh, going through and I realized that if you told this retold this story from the beginning today it would have a very different impact on the audience and it was an opportunity to do something that was relevant to our experience and so I, I had ideas about what I, how I wanted to do science fiction anyway and how to film it and how to present it that were different than Star Trek and it was a great opportunity to sort of do that and do a show that could be uh, really an, an interesting you know take on society and a lot of uh, thematic issues that we were grappling with, like freedom versus security and terrorism and, and trust and uh, the civilian world versus the military world and politics and what, it, what does it mean to be free in, in, a, in an environment which you could die at any moment. And that, those are fascinating subjects and science fiction provides you an opportunity to address those things through a slightly different prism and you can, uh, you can deal with them in a way that's not, um, you're not tied into sort of calling everything Republicans and Democrats and sort of feeling obligated to give each side its, its fair due and be even-handed and all that, you can sort of really just deal with the ideas and the themes and the issues because, you know, they're Cylons and, you know, they're, they're battle stars and you, 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 the audience kind of cuts you some slack and they're not so uptight because you were attacking Bill Clinton or you were supporting Bill Clinton or whatever. Uh, did you ever watch the original series? I Sure, I watched it when it was on the air. I was a kid and I, uh, I remember when it premiered. I was a huge Star Wars fan yeah. and this came right hot, hot on the heels of Star Wars and I remember the cover. they were on the cover of TV Guide for the fall season preview and I was really excited and I tuned in and saw the premiere and I watched every episode. That's cool, that's cool. Um, what decisions did you make to make it different from the original? I decided to keep the, the core idea of the premise of it. You know, the, 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 the outline of the show is, is still the same. There's a Cylon attack in the, in the pilot that wipes out the 12 colonies. One Battlestar survives in a civilian fleet and they leave and try to find Earth. And I kept the core relationships within it. Adama and his son, his friend uh, Starbuck, uh, Adama's friend Colonel Ty and then I sort of rounded it out it was like okay start with that but let's take advantage of the fact that the world has changed since 1978 women are now more fully integrated in the military and what if what if Starbucks a woman and that suddenly changed that whole dynamic and I, I was very interested in doing a counterweight to Adama I didn't want it to be a military dictatorship show I said well they would have a president let's grapple with the issues of, of how you would balance a democracy in this context and make that president a woman and then she could be sort of the mother figure and also a counterbalance to Adama and it was mostly like it was decisions like that it was like filling in the universe and making it I wanted to take a more naturalistic approach a more realistic approach than not just Galactica but even Star Trek and sort of make it very grounded make it very familiar make people you know people wear coats and ties they don't wear space clothes they don't have space hair make everything make it really an easy entree for the audience to say okay those are people like me and that this is a dramatic series about real characters that just happen to be in a fantastic environment. Awesome. Now, I remember my dad, it was, it was early in his career, his first gig was Buck Rogers. Had you ever seen that? Oh, yeah. Okay. And then somewhere after that, he did Battlestar Galactic. He wasn't there very long. But I remember he said that the physical effects were what, what really slowed down the production. And I'm just curious what it's like to do CG now. Is it just as time-consuming? or? 
No, CG effects are, are much faster and that's and, and cheaper now than, than practical effects for a variety of reasons. I mean, there's still things that you do on the set that are quicker and easier to do practically. Smoke, you know, explosions, fire, all that is a lot easier to do as a practical thing. Shaking the set, you know, knocking a door down. You know, it's, it would be much more expensive to do a CGI effect for that. And it's simple and fast and quick on the set. But when you're doing things with, like, robots and, like, you know, the Cylons in our universe, yeah, we could, you could build a suit and you could build a, a, an animatronic suit that doesn't even have a guy in it, but it would be very expensive. And it's very slow and those, they're, they're very complicated puppeteers and they're complicated control devices on the set. And that takes an inordinate amount of time. And we can do it in CGI much, much faster and, and cheaper. And all the visual effects now, you know, all the spaceships are all CGI. The, the model work is, when I was at Star Trek, it, they were all models and then now it's all in the computer and we see it's much it's a much better tool for for us as producers because now in the old days when they were shooting models you never got to see what you were going to shoot yeah. you would talk in production meetings and you would see drawings but the process took so long to actually shoot the models that you never really saw the effects until they were to be dropped into the show well now you have previs right now we have tons of previs and you get to see it multiple ways and you can change it and play around with it all the way up until the final okay a lot of my listeners are fans and um I just uh, want to establish that we're here today because we're getting close what might be the end of the strike, but we're not there yet. Um, any advice to fans who are still out there and want to support you know, writers' efforts and what's going on? You know, the writers, uh, they're just very appreciative to hear from the fans. It's, you know, it's emails, it's things like coming out to the picket lines. I mean, they're fans that, that just send donuts or they send just small measures of support, driving by in your car and honking, anything. Just to know that the fans care about what happens to the writers and are, are there with us, you know, in all but in spirit, if not in, 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 in physical body. Anything they do is really appreciated. It means a lot to everybody. This is a hard time for the entire guild. And just knowing that our audience actually, you know, is there with us means a great deal. Um, do you have any anything that fans can look forward to after the strike's over? Uh, well, the fourth season will pick up right after uh, season three. We'll pick up with Carstone, that Viper, looking at Lee and them on Galactic about to be under attack and it'll move from there it'll be one long continuing story in the fourth season won't really be many standalone if any standalone episodes Uh, we're going to lose some people we're going to lose some characters we've all come to love some old characters are going to come back and they're on the road to Earth, you know, and we're going to be moving into the finale and seeing what Earth means and what's it all about, and there will be an ending to Galactica. As we wrap this up, um, I have a standard question I've been asking everybody. Legacy notwithstanding, standalone technology, what is a more powerful invention for writers, the Internet or the printing press? The printing press, absolutely, the printing press. And in some ways, the Internet... There, there was this fascinating article in New York Times Magazine a few months back, maybe a year ago at this point, that was talking about how the Internet was the first thing to directly threaten the idea of the copy and that the printing press invented the copy. And, you know, that's how writers and, and uh, authors, or how authors have traditionally made their money was, okay, I write this, but then the printing press makes multiple copies possible that then you can buy, and that's how they generate income. And the Internet is the first to sort of threaten that entire idea because what does a copy mean anymore? It's just a digital you know, download that you can read or not. And it's ubiquitous. It's ubiquitous. And so it's a, it's a, 
it's scary. I mean, it's, it has exciting opportunities, but it's it's the abyss. You don't quite know where we're going with all of this and how we're all going to share information and content. But the printing press, you know, changed everything. It made everything possible. And you don't know how you're going to make a sustainable living. You don't. I mean, I think that the business will continue in its present form for you know the foreseeable future. It's not it's not going to turn on a dime. It's too it's it's a giant oil tanker of a business, and they just don't move you know quickly. But change is occurring underway and underfoot. We're doing podcasts, and you know all this is changing. We're just sort of everyone's watching to see the direction it's all going to go. Okay. Um, I said that was my last question, but I'm just really curious. What got you in the guild? Uh, I sold my first script to Star Trek The Next Generation got me in the guild. Was it a fan script? Yeah, it was a, a spec script. I had a, a connection. There was a girl I was dating who was connected to Star Trek. Uh, I was in L.A. trying to be a writer. She found out I was a, a huge fan of the original show. And she said, oh, I still know someone in Next Generation. I said, really? Oh, my God. Could you get me? Can I see the sets? And she said, yeah, I can set up a tour of the sets. And it took about four weeks. And in the interim, I just decided to take a shot. And I sat down and wrote a script. Wow. And I brought it with me and conned the guy that was giving me the set tour into reading it. And he liked it. And he turned out to be one of Gene Roddenberry's assistants. Wow. And gave it to my first agent. And the agent submitted it to the show. And it sat in the slush pile for seven months. And a new executive producer came on board that started the third season, went through the slush pile, found it, bought it, and uh, asked me to do a second one. I did a second one, and then he brought me on staff, and that was how I got in the business. I was really lucky. Did you know you wanted to be a writer? At that point, I did. I mean, I'd always written. As I, I come from a small town called Chowchilla in, in central California, and people just don't become writers. So it wasn't a real, just wasn't a real job that I considered. But I was always writing stories, and I wrote a play in high school, and I was always writing things. And it wasn't really until I flunked out of Cornell and didn't have anything else, and I decided to start my life over. And okay, I'll be a writer, and just sort of said, well, that's what I've been doing. It's the only thing I really enjoy doing, and I'll I'll start over and try to make a go of it doing this. I know several of my fans are not writers and aspire to be writers. Any advice for them? It's a discouraging business. You know, the one of the first, there's this apocryphal story that I was told uh, when I first joined the staff of, of Next Generation, where there's the, there was a famous violinist, Heifetz, uh, uh, who was a solo viol- violinist, and uh, Yehuda Heifetz, and supposedly he's getting ready to go out to Carnegie, Carnegie Hall, and he's standing backstage, and a young man comes up to him and he says, "Mr. Heifetz, please, can you can you listen to me play the violin for a minute? I just want to know if I have any talent at all. Please listen for just a sec, just just thirty seconds, please, please, please." And Heifetz goes, "Oh." all right kid go ahead and the kid like plays him some piece for like 30 seconds and he looks at him and Heifetz says no you don't have it forget it and walks away and goes on stage and the kid's devastated yeah. and he and he leaves he doesn't pursue music he drops out he goes into insurance years later they run into each other in some gathering <clears throat> and the, now he's a man and he's a family man he's got the successful career and he's at a social gathering and he says I just want to ask you a question you know I met you backstage this one time and I played and for 30 seconds you told me I didn't have any talent and, and forget it and, and how could you do that to me how could you say this to this young kid and you know and it discouraged me and I dropped out of the business and Heifetz says I say that to everyone because it's the kind of business that if you can be discouraged you will be and you should find out now and that there's a lot of truth to that it is the kind of if you can be discouraged in this business you will be discouraged and you will quit and you will leave and you should find that out sooner rather than later because it's just a business that will keep closing doors people are not going to want to read your script you're going to have to be persistent you're going to have to network you're going to have to believe in what you're doing you're going to have to love what you do you're going to have to love writing and get a tremendous amount of satisfaction just from creating stories and characters and trusting that eventually you're going to it's going to land on the right person's desk and eventually somebody's going to buy it because it's good That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Absolutely.
You have been listening to the Rider Strike Chronicle podcast, available for free through iTunes. For more information, visit us at www.strikechronicles.com. To contact us, please call 310-439-8754 or send us an email at info at strikechronicles.com.